are we roll the diamond dice they tell us what to do and next time they told us to do an album called black tie white noise from 1993 and um we will get to that in the main episode of course this is the pre-episode where we are going to talk about the song that brought bowie back to the public consciousness he had been gone he'd been in tin machine for many years and hadn't released an album since what 1986 is never let me down which we've already covered so it went, it went Never Let Me Down, and then two Tin Machines, and then this song. Right, yes. And, and it was a big gap in time. And actually, uh, there was a bit of a – there was some pariah talk going on about David Bowie, about how, you know, the former King of Cool uh, had fallen off. No one was really feeling his last couple studio albums. No one was feeling Tin Machine. And um, I'm going to hold my judgment on that until we actually review it properly. But anyways, uh, Bowie was kind of, you know, remembered fondly, but spoken of somewhat negative, negatively. And then that brings us with an ex- to an exciting 1993 film called Cool World. Actually, it dropped in 92, but it was called Cool World, and it was cashing in on that uh, live action slash animated uh, storytelling style of Roger Rabbit, which blew the doors down on that a few years earlier. During his 10 years in prison, Jack Deebs created his own world. It made him very successful. You're Jack Deebs, the creator of Cool World, right? I can't believe this. Now he thinks he's going home to the real world. But he's wrong. Real wrong. This place exists with or without you. Get a little closer here, babe. Give him a kiss. Go away. I'm out of here. I've been waiting for you, darling. Noids do not have sex with doodles. It's the oldest law in Cool World. If that happens, you call me. I got it, boss. Since it's only a dream, indulge your fantasies. The man is in the bedroom. Are you going to follow the rules? I'm Eric Anderson. I'm gonna uh, ride the uh, the uh, the lead horse on this bad boy. And uh, to my left, somewhere, if you look at a globe, I'm sure if you go around left long enough, you'll hit. Uh, Mark Branstad. Hello, Eric. Glad to be with you. Yes, uh, glad glad you're here. Glad you uh, watched Cool World, <laughs> so you and I could chat about it. I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> Actually, I, the last time I watched it, I was uh, up in an Auburn theater. I was in uh, sixth grade. It was me and my sister and one other guy. It was not at the state theater. It was up somewhere, going on Highway 49. That was the last time I've seen this movie, and that's the last time I will ever see that movie. <laughs> so, a little, a little local uh, flavor that wasn't at the state theater, which I live right next to once again. There was another theater, which I think might have been called the other state theater, which was on 49. But you may have saw it at the discount Maidu theaters. Maybe. 
And it was the same place I also saw Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, yeah. So it was a cheaper theater up in Auburn, but it was a heck of a drive from Loomis, California. But during that day, there was uh, that was the only option. It was either that or go all the way to Citrus Heights. There was nothing in Rockland or Roseville to see a movie in the theater. My, how the times have changed. I just went and saw Toy Story 4 today at the Studio Movie Grill in Rockland. Nice. Did you enjoy it? I did. I did enjoy it. It's a Pixar's continued uh, usual excellence. Um, but I have to say, Eric, that it's, it's unfortunate that Mark hasn't seen this movie since like three decades ago. Uh, so I would like to help you out tonight, but I've never watched this movie. Oh, that actually surprises me. That, that surprises me. Um, but yeah, that, listen, that's fine. Listen, listen, listen for these for these podcasts. We, we try to do everything we can. We try to watch everything in the world, but life is short. And also I discovered midway through recording the other episode that we're going to release next week that I had a whole other album I had to listen to. Uh, so I didn't have time to watch this movie. No, it doesn't surprise me that you didn't watch it. It surprised me that you never watch it like as a kid, because I mean, there's boobies in it. Well, every, every uh, DC and Marvel comic book I had at the time had like three three ads for it in every issue and uh it just never it looked like from the get-go it looked like a poor man's roger rabbit and uh even later than that it looked like a poor man's johnny suede so either way you know no thanks (laughs) you're not too far off on both of those uh assumptions so good on you for avoiding this good on you well as with with uh everything the soundtrack in the 90s was key to promoting the film it was a kind of with the exception of maybe like the big chill the decade before that it's one of those few uh uh, time periods that you know does not exist anymore today um probably hasn't since the early aughts um but the using the soundtrack as a promotional machine was uh was huge in the 90s um and there are some amazing soundtracks that uh that we've talked about and may talk about again um but uh, this one was okay. This one saw Bowie's dramatic return in a song called Real Cool World. Ministry have their song NWO on there, um, and uh, the My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult, a Wax Tracks Records staple, uh, and pretty good band depending upon what album you're listening to. Uh, they're all over this. I think they have six songs on the soundtrack. Uh, wow! Yeah. Uh, also have the the Cult uh, performing their song The Witch. We have. Um, Moby's on here, who's uh, taking a little time out from pop culture right now, correct? <laughs> yes. And this was, uh, yeah, Moby's gotten himself on one of the bad lists. And uh, also, this was definitely before Moby was uh, Moby's. Right. We know him. Um, there's a Brian Eno song on here. There's a Thompson Twin song. It's actually a really cool soundtrack. Um, 
And uh, it's got Future Sound of London, <laughs> which was of their time for sure. Um, and uh, <laughs> a very funny guest appearance by a singer that I'll get to in just a minute. The film, the song itself is fine. It's, it is in that acid jazz vein of um, the rest of the album, which will really break down when we talk about it. Um, he's got some cool echo on his vocals and his delivery is very, uh, very confident for the music not being so great. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a song about, I don't know, uh, mythology and uh, connecting and how bright things are when you're connected to people. It's kind of what this song's about. And it's pretty forgettable. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, I feel that you are right on the money. It's not bad. Uh, out of the bonus material that uh, existed around this time frame, I do prefer this one over another song that we'll probably get into our next episode. Um, but it has some synths that percolate. Um, it's a four-minute song. I think this it can get repetitive. I think it could have been a better song at just three minutes. Right. Um, the video is ridiculous, and it was <laughs> what you were saying. It's just a promotional. Yeah. David no, Bowie's not even in the video. There's a dancer that's all in the shadows that has Bowie's hair and kind of looks like him, but is a way yeah. way better dancer than Bowie. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. great. Um, but it does give you a hint of some of the uh, the sounds that he's going to yeah. be using on his uh, future projects, but it, it's not terrible. It's uh, it's no hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me, as I like to joke uh, in terms of movie tie-ins, because uh, no, that's a song <laughs> and a video, too. If you want to promote a movie, that's, that's the way right. to do it. Um, but this one here... Um, didn't hit that that uh, that that target. Steve, what do you think about the song? Yeah, Mark pretty much summed it up. I uh, I will say that I like the other bonus song better than this one, but not by much. They look they they sound to me like they were cut the same day. Um, uh, Steve, I gotta know yeah. what do you think about the dwee 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 a dwee 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 because he's doing that weird vocal stuff all over this album, and uh, I'm just curious. You usually enjoy that. That actually, I'm glad you pointed that out because that is, yeah, no, that is a, that is an aspect of the song that is enjoyable. Um, but it's just, it's forget. As soon as it turns off, I, I forgot I heard it, you know? Yeah. And, and for some reason, it might just be the name of the song, but I keep wanting that Iggy Pop song we talked about, Real Wild One. I just, I feel like you could just seamlessly blend them in together and they're both just forgettable <laughs> nonsense that you can put in movies. I just looped. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, it's a harbinger of things to come. I, I'd say that the majority of the songs of Black Tie White Noise are better than this song. Um, it's, it's like a warm-up right. for Black Tie White yeah, Noise. Yeah, and there, it was a big hit in the UK, um, so much so that the singles got like uh, an extended 12-inch remix, uh, dub remix, uh, cool dub remix. Um, the, the single is longer than Black Tie White Noise itself. <laughs> uh, and I listened to all of them, and, you know, the... It's just the same song, and if you like that sound and you want to hear it fleshed out a little bit more, that's what the remixes are for. And if you love dubs, like I know Steve does, then they take the lyrics out and you just hear the music kind of thumping with psychedelic synth flourishes for uh, 15 minutes. Yeah, Eric, I, I got to say, uh, for the guy that – I mean, you, you're falling off, dude. When the show first started, you would just go in-depth about everything. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to. 
now I'm going to. I've got them saved for the actual can... album. Trust me. This one, they're 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 too similar. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah, hold you yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got I've got copious remix notes. I just this one doesn't All inspire right. too really, much. I'm really, you know, I just wanted to give yeah. you the business. I'm not gonna hold you to that because I don't want to. <laughs> You're gonna regret that, that, Steve. Now yeah. I'm gonna pay extra. <laughs> I'm gonna. You just added five minutes to every remix talk. Congratulations. So this movie, <laughs> this movie, yeah. tell tell us tell us a little. Tell us about Cool World. You you paid money recently yes, to watch yes. this movie. I thought it was available for free streaming on just uh, it Prime was not Video anymore. right now. I looked it up. Not the case. Uh, oh, that's unfortunate. Okay. You, know, you know what is available? So I'm always poking around at all the streams because uh, I have a Roku. And uh, the Roku has a bunch of weird channels on it. You got your, uh, you, you, you've got your, your normal you know, Netflix and Hulu. And then Crackle, if you uh, really want to just feel bad about yourself. But I discovered something today called the Roku channel. And you know what is streaming for free on the Roku channel right now? What's that? The original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. All right. The, the movie that we all know made Steve cry when Splinter says in his campfire of spirit vision, you are all my sons. <laughs> right. Me and, me and Raphael both. That's yeah. right. Anyhow, time's classic. I can't wait to share it with my son. But it's, it's no cool world, is it, Eric? Oh, God. So I did see Cool World when I was your same age, Mark. I, actually, I probably didn't see it until it came out on video. And I'm just lucky that my that my dad rented it and because my mom would have made us turn it off and throw it out the window. Uh, but I think my dad was like, oh, it's like another Roger Rabbit. Cool. Enjoy. And then went upstairs to like play his bass or something. But uh, um, <laughs> Cool World... <laughs> uh, cool World was directed by Ralph Bakshi. And if that name rings a bell, it's because he's the, the the titan of animated adult adult oriented animated films from the seventies and eighties. He did uh, he did Fritz the Cat. He did um, the Lord of the Rings animated films. Um, and he's done some other stuff like Wizard. Um, he, had so, in, he had a hand in heavy metal, <clears throat> right? Yeah, he must have done a, a segment in that. And he's a yeah, I mean, he's very respected for the work he did. Um, and I think, you know, I think he and the studio probably all saw the success of Roger Rabbit and were like, okay, you know, there's, some, there's something to be done there, but done for adults. And Bakshi was the man to do it. I mean, that's where that he makes edgy adult cartoons. That's kind of his thing. Um, but then uh, I guess he had written it as a horror story. Um, some mad, like mad horror story, uh, involving cartoons. And then secretly the writer and the studio heads changed it and rewrote it to be what it is now. And apparently Ralph Bakshi pumped, punched the writer in the face and walked off <laughs> at some point. So there's a lot of drama behind the scenes, uh, for real cool world. Uh, but what we get is a film in which in our world, in the just following the world, world war two, uh, Brad Pitt, uh, America's sweetheart, Brad Pitt, very young in this, very young. It was, had been in very little, but was about to blow sky high in the next two years. Um, he gets, he gets home. He's a soldier. He gets home. He's taken his mother out for a motorcycle ride when he gets in a car accident and he lands, but he doesn't land on earth. No, he happens to land in this portal that takes him to this cartoon town, cool world, um, which is just an ugly distorted, like 
mad Looney Tunes uh, meets, uh, you know, the Playboy's uh, comic strips. Um, and uh, meanwhile, on Earth, uh, Gabriel Byrne is a prisoner. And we hear the ministry song when he's let out of prison, giving all the other inmates high fives because he's become a little bit of a celebrity while he's been in there because he's been drawing his own comics and publishing them, which that kind of would be a story in itself. But they spent about two minutes on that because he finds out that these characters that he created are alive in this world and um, they've been alive longer than he has. And they pull him down and he and he meets up with Brad Pitt and they learn the rules to Cool World and there's really no... This is where it might feel like a Bakshi film. There's not a lot of drive to this movie. It's like, there's very little plot. Like there's no, like he needs to get back out, but he also kind of falls in love with this, uh, this seductress named Hollywood voiced by Kim Basinger coming hot, hot off. Well, I guess four years after Batman. So I guess not hot off anything. Um, and uh, there's all sorts of rules like tunes and humans can't do it. And you don't know what happens if they do, but then you find out what does it do? It turns the tune to a human and they both go back to the human world where we see a live action version of Hollywood walk around town, get into cartoon shenanigans. And at one point, like twerk all over uh, <laughs> Frank Sinatra Jr.'s crotch while he's singing a terrible song in the smallest casino you have ever seen. And one of the most awkward, awkward scenes I've ever, I've ever watched. But yeah, that's your guest uh, appearance there by Oh Blue Blue Eyes Junior. Um, that's cool world, man. It's a it's a hot mess. I mean, if you fell asleep with that description, um, then uh, you were doing an impression of me twice while I was watching the film. <laughs> it it is trying to be edgy, but it's not. Like you could tell, back she wanted to make it a lot more edgy, and it's so soft. Like there are, it's insane. There's violence. There's scantily clad women but there's never it's never edgy it's never it's never outrageous so i tried to figure out um obviously it was a packaged film and trying to cash in on the success of live action meets animation um live action meets animation has been around since the 30s but it really caught fire in 1989 with who framed roger rabbit This obviously was a, an answer to that to make it more adult themed um, with obviously Ralph Bakshi's name on it. Um, but in terms of how they roped David Bowie into this project, what I, because I mean, it's not like they just pulled something from his catalog or some random B side that he was working. The title track was shit made for this movie. Right. Do you think, I mean, 
We can only speculate because I, I could not find anything in my research unless you guys did about how they talked David Bowie into coming out of um, hibernation, I guess, to do something that was such a terrible piece of shit, you know, like right. this movie was. So, yeah, I mean, as far as what we'll go into it when the actual episode, I mean, Bowie was in the mind frame that he wanted to do songs like this, like kind of personal songs about relationships because he had just gotten secretly married that year and was about to get officially publicly married. Um, so following, following that. So um, he was kind of in that place and working with people that were friends with his, uh, with Imani, his, you know, his new bride. And uh, uh, so as far as like what drew him to this, it might've just been an opportunity to like, Hey, this might fit this kind of sound I've been working on lately. I mean, who knows? I, I don't yeah, have more I'm than that. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't find anything either. Um, but for someone with such stature, I mean, I understand the soundtrack was fleshed out by a little more um, independent artists, you know, artists that aren't really afraid to do something a little more edgy um, in the sense of it doesn't matter how good it is or just really promoting themselves in order to get some money, right? I mean, ministry, of course, uh, at this point, probably wouldn't say no to anything, Um and I'm sure that Al Jorgensen was, you know, out of his mind when he said about <laughs> cartoons, having sex with guys. You got it. I'm in it. Yeah. Give me what you need. Yeah. Sign yeah. it over. Um, yeah. But David Bowie, I think, would have a more discerning, like, oh, I don't know about that project, but maybe uh, maybe I'm just making assumptions. But right, whatever it is, the song itself is is just okay. The movie is terrible. Critics hated it. It failed at the box office cost him 30 million dollars to make this movie it only made about half of that back um and plus the four dollars that eric just spent on it so <laughs> yeah um, who, who, who was so it was a uh, kim bassinger and uh, brad pitt gabriel Byrne, and, and gabriel Byrne, and gabriel Byrne. yeah all right yeah well, so gabriel you know, Byrne is like the newbie and brad pitt's been there for like 40 50 years or whatever that's kind of mm, the, the premise so he's, he's like been a, established he's a cop he's a he's a cop that investigates tune crimes and uh I will say this, Brad Pitt was, is so into it. You can tell he's having a great time, like making it like he's the only one that's believably acting alongside these tunes that obviously weren't there in the moment. So, um, you know, it's clear that he's like this talent waiting to happen because I mean, he is having a blast with no material. Well, this is right. This is right before he kind of broke through in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, Is this pre or post legends of the fall? It's pre. Okay. Um, and also, I think this may have been because uh, post Thelma and Louise, though. Mm, okay. But was it same year as like California or close to it? I mean, California, I don't really. I mean, I think that was like a cult film that uh, really yeah. only found a life in VHS and DVD. I don't think it like really did anything because okay. I mean, I'm sure that he didn't even receive top billing. I'm sure it was Juliette Lewis <laughs> or even shit, Dave Duchovny. Right. Or the woman that was on Star Trek. I don't know. That says <laughs> um, this is pre it's pre uh, uh, true romance. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, no, Brad Pitt's the friend of the show. And I, I think about Brad Pitt more often than I should. He's a, he's a great I, man. I enjoy most of uh his work. I, I find him extremely entertaining. Um, there's a few movies that, uh, when he was really trying to embrace his heartthrob status, like the Mexican, um, yeah. which did nothing for me. Right. Um, 
but for the most part, I mean, those oceans movies are uh, a hot, just a lot of fun. Um, his work with Quentin, I'm very excited about his new movie that's coming out once upon a time in Hollywood. That looks like it was tailor made for the three of us. I know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I got permission to, to see that one in the theater. So yeah. oh, thanks. Nice. Thank goodness for that. No, I, you I, mowed the lawn there, Eric, <laughs> got your allowance all in order. That's right. <laughs> you got it. So, um, I don't want to skip over the Brad Pitt love, but I am curious because I think I rented this game on super Nintendo and that was a terrible game. Uh, do you guys remember it? I think it was it was made by that company, Ocean Software. Yeah, um, I, all the licensed games for Super Nintendo at the time made off video or movies typically were terrible. Let's think about this. Uh, this, Wayne's World, Home Alone, uh, they all looked and played the same. They were bad side-scrollers where if you, you know, you, you would try to jump over a, a pit that looked like you could make it and you'd always fall in the pit. Is just not good. Terrible yeah, game. and uh, it's the, I feel like the the graphics were very like like just before Mortal Kombat, where it's like a, a photograph that's been animated. Like I feel like they use screen. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, the characters are kind of kind of photographic looking. I don't know if that makes well, sense. There's, Eric, there's I know you're only al- you're only allowed to play video games for thirty minutes a day of that back then. But I have to tell you that even Mortal Kombat's uh, graphics were not the cutting edge that you think they were. <laughs> That's what I wasn't saying. They were they were amazing, but anyways, it yeah. sounds like they're the, they were the gold standard in your mind. That explains a lot. <laughs> now that now that now that Mortal Kombat that is the soundtrack. It's true. Now we all know that the golden standard of Super NES uh, graphics was like Clay Fighter and uh, anything that Rare was doing. Yeah, Star Fox. There you go. Star Fox was an in-house. I think Rare was actually like a different English studio. I don't know. Where's Joe Vieira when you need him? Rare are the guys that uh, Nintendo bought out and made the Donkey Kong Country games. Oh, yeah. That's right. Beautiful games. Well, actually, now, I guess we got time for it. People looking back now say, oh, I can't stand to look at those Donkey Kong games. What is that weird CGI? And I just say, you know what? You're taking your eyeballs of now and you're forgetting what it looked like at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Which kind of is what we got to think about when we talk about the uh, black tie, white noise. Yeah. There was this uh, v- uh, video that was uh, going a little bit of viral on Twitter. Uh, friend of the show, Paul F. Tompkins, even tweet, uh, tweeted <clears throat> it. It was this huge fish. Like, it, it, the fish is over 14 feet tall. Oh, I saw that motherfucker. And the music that they used was the music from Donkey Kong Country's underwater level. That's great music. <laughs> those, game, those games have fantastic music. I stand by. I stand by all three of the Super Nintendo ones. Yeah. All right. So speaking speaking of video games, you know, I was, I was poking around, uh, I was poking around on the internet, and by that I mean Eric sent me a link, and he 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 knocked he knocked a memory out of my head. I forgot about. Speaking of this craze of trying to mix, uh, you know, people with humans after Roger Rabbit, and you're never going to get any better than Roger Rabbit. You're never going to get any better than Bob Hoskins being the lead in your film. May he rest in peace forever. There is this game called, uh, what was it called? Toonstruck? Toonstruck. Yeah. Yeah. All starring Roger Rabbit alumni Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Well, old Christopher, he's a, he doesn't turn down anything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> and if he gets to go buggy eyed, all the better. Yeah. One of the one of the best casting decisions ever made that's inexplicable is when they cast him as a Klingon in Star Trek Three. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it is. 
two, three, and four, baby. But yeah, so Toon Toonstruck, I never played it. I I played many adventure games. Mark and I played many adventure games. I played a few myself, believe it or not. Teenage, teenage years. We'll Police just, Quest. Leisure yeah. Suit Larry. Gabriel Knight. Yes. All the quests. All the series. Space Quest. Like, uh, you know, I put on I put on the Monkey Island music when I'm having a bad day. I wish that was a joke. No for me, dog. I used to get uh, a, I used to get a catalog um, with new games coming out. It wasn't even a magazine; it was just like a catalog, and uh, you could mail order video games. And I remember seeing it on there and being like, "Oh, I'm gonna play that. I'm gonna play that." And I did not. But it, it, it uh, you know, it looked when you watch it, it looks like any of those like walk around, look at, open, use kind of things. But you're you get to be Christopher Lloyd walking around a cartoon universe, so. Yeah, none of, none of us played it. It looks terrible, but we had to mention it. Yeah. Do you remember your very first adventure game that you played on the computer? Your very first. I do. What is it? It was the Black Cauldron adaptation. Eric, how about you? Uh, it it was watching my cousin play one of the King's Quests, and I don't know which okay. one, but the one the first one I got invested in was Monkey Island. Let me ask you this. Monkey Island is a classic. Good. It is. Uh, do you remember anything about... I, I could tell you which one it is if you describe it a little bit. It's the, King's the, Quest. It's the one with that, with that motherfucker wizard, that really bad wizard, that really evil wizard that just... Okay, that's at least three of the games. <laughs> Is it is it the one where you got to do chores and he'll kick your ass if you don't? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. That's, that's King's Quest Three to Air is Human, a fantastic game, except for if you're too young, you're not going to understand how to use the spell book, and you're not going to beat it until you're 17, even though your parents bought it for you when you were nine. <laughs> this is coming from experience. Yeah. Steve knows. That's right. <laughs> that's right. My first one was uh, also a Sierra game, The Gold Rush. Uh, because my parents thought it was going to be like Oregon Trail, um, and it was not. It was a lot more fun, but man, you had to save every five seconds because any little thing could kill you, and it would take you right back to the end. <laughs> yeah, no, save early and often. Or the beginning. Nice. You know, that's the problem with the Sierra games, and I love them. I love the Sierra games. A lot of it's nostalgia, but also, you know, at the time, they were doing a lot with a little bit. But uh, yeah, they would they would, very often in those games, you'd have to like save 20 different times because you'd want to go way back because what those games did sometimes is you would forget to pick up a fucking uh, a pack of apples in the shop before you hop on a boat and go across the world and then you're going to die because you couldn't eat the apples later. Exactly. Uh, always do that stuff. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, all right. Well, I think that does it for this talk. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're, I think we, as far as animated live action stuff goes, we talked about anything worth talking about. 
Well, we could talk. We know we 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 could talk about bread knobs and broomsticks again if Mark's watched it since the last podcast. I haven't. I haven't watched that or Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. There's so many. Like, oh. I mean, I think the only other Disney live animated uh, movie that I've watched is Mary Poppins, which I think is all right. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a classic for its own its own right. You know, it's I appreciate for what it is, but the live action stuff from Disney. Um, is doesn't really capture me as much of the uh than the animated ones do but i've i i do need to actually go back and watch bed knobs and then chitty chitty and and just, escape from witch mountain although that's not an, that that's not too. animated but that's that's, that's but cool. that's just straight yeah that's just straightforward yeah. like yeah. yeah yeah did you watch did you see toy story 4 yet Either of you? I, no. Surprisingly, not. Yeah, I, I just haven't had uh, an opportunity to yet. I'm, I'm itching to do it. Um, I'm very excited to see it. I'm a big fan. Yeah, they. Uh, I thought that after part three, I mean, there was a time when Pixar actually said they wouldn't do sequels, which is a long time ago. And uh, I thought after Toy Story three, I don't know how they could have made a part four. It's not entirely complex here. They're Pixar movies; they can do whatever they want. But they actually ended this one where I was like, okay, this could actually be the end of it all. So we'll see. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it'll probably will be, but who knows? The the capitalism monster is always hungry. Um, <laughs> well, Eric, close us out here. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, that was just a fun uh, four way four way into uh, Bowie returning with a mediocre song for a terrible film with a that was a part of a fascinating genre, and we talked How about many- it. How many bolts do you give Cool World the movie? Oh, wow. Uh, Jesus. I guess 0.5 bolts. I don't think we can <laughs> wow, give zero, like zero. We can do zeros, but you know, you got to think, think about it. Yeah. Just how we don't want to give out perfect fives. You don't want to give out a zero unless it really deserves no, it. No, yeah, yeah. 0.5 because I'd say, and Brad Pitt earned all of that 0.5. Even Gabriel Byrne didn't know what the hell he was doing when those with those cartoon characters. But Brad Pitt was having fun mixing it up. So, well, you know that's the thing with Gabriel Byrne is the son of a bitch hasn't aged in like forty years. So his <laughs> brain's all wired backwards. <laughs> yeah, he looks exactly the same as he did in Miller's Crossing. Miller's Crossing, <laughs> as he does in whatever came out last week on Straight to HBO. Right. All right, let's stop talking about this and let's talk about that album. Those albums. All right, well, uh, we will see you here uh, next week. Bye-bye.